Good morning, BC. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Dan Ware. I am one of the deacons here and a, a MC leader, and I'm excited to be sharing from the Psalms with you today. Uh, I'm going to start out today with a with the kids' sermon. So, kids, I have a question for you. Who raise your hand if you've heard the story of David and Goliath? We're probably all raising our hand, right? That's a pretty, pretty popular one. All right, thanks. Um, so we know the story. There are two armies, and uh, they both are, you know, they're, they're camped against each other, and they agree that rather than all of us come together and fight, we're going to each choose one to come and fight each other, and whoever wins gets the victory for their army, right? So who did... Okay, what, what, first of all, what were the names of the two armies? Can I have one of the names? Philistines and the Israelites. Yeah. So those are the two armies. And who represented the Philistines? Who did they choose? Yeah. Who? All right, sorry. <laughs> Goliath, you guys were both right. Um, yeah, they picked him. Why did they pick him? Anybody else? In the back there, whoever yells it out first in that area. <laughs> Why'd they pick Goliath? Yeah, good reasons, right? All right, and so the next one's a trick question. Who did the Israelites choose? Kind of a trick question, all right? We got Mona. Is that Mona's hand? They, they didn't choose, David's the one that did it, right? Right, right, yeah. They, they didn't choose David, but he's the one that did it, right? Yeah, so what happens in the story is nobody wants to fight Goliath because he's so big. And so David, not even part of the army, he comes in to deliver some food to his brothers, and he hears what's going on, and he's like, I'll fight him. I can beat him. Um, so why did David think he could beat Goliath? Yeah, Levi. Because he what? Because he, exactly, yep, because he knew God was on his side. He had fought bears and, and lions and stuff before, right? But ultimately, he knew God, God's going to give the victory. So whoever fights him is going to beat him. So, um, so he goes out there to fight him, and what happens? You got, yep. Yeah, he throws a rock at him, right? <laughs> yeah, and he defeats him. And uh, so as a result of beating Goliath, they had agreed, whoever wins, that army gets the victory. So the result of one man, the, the action of one man, the victory of one man is applied to the whole army, even though the, each individual man, none of them fought. They got the, the benefit of David's victory. And uh, today I'm going to, in our psalm, I'm going to point out that, uh, make the point that Jesus, like David for Israel, um, is our representative. He, he is the one that goes out to fight our enemies, which, what, what are our enemies? If you, you know, Eleanor. Sin, right? And there's one more, Marshall. Satan, yep, he's our enemy. Uh, what, what, is the, what are the wages of sin? 
what is what comes as a result of sin? Death. Yeah, sin and death, right? So Jesus took our sin on himself, and he suffered the consequences of our sin on the cross, and he died, and then he was raised back to life, and he defeated death also. So he, he is our representative, and because he's done that, we get the benefit of, of what he's done, and we get to have life and salvation through him. So um, thank you, kids. Uh, today's kids' sermon is an example, like I said, of what I'd, I want us to see today in the passage. And I have a kind of a theme, yeah. So I want us to, to read this psalm in light of Jesus, um, that the application and the ultimate fulfillment of the psalms is in and through Jesus. And we should primarily first look for Jesus in this psalm. Um, I do want to qualify this a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that we should like read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus or through, through the New Testament. The psalms were written in a specific time for specific people in a specific context, and they had an immediate application. God was working with these people, um, but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, he knows uh, the ultimate plan of the Lord. Um, when David wrote about things that sound very messianic, talk about Jesus, um, he didn't have Jesus in particular in mind. Um, he, was, he was dealing with God, and God was dealing with him and providing salvation and all those things. Um, but since we've seen the full revelation of the plan of God's redemption through Jesus, we should view Scripture as always ultimately being about him. So at the outset, that's what I want to establish. Um, Jesus fulfills this passage, and so I'm going to have Katie read it for us, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Psalm 40, to the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from a pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my, my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering are, you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I will delight to do your will, O my Lord. My law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your, your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from your great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. 
Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who be put to shame and be disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, ha, ha, ha. But may we, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of, for me. You are my help and my deliver, deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for um, the fact that we get to, to worship you because of your endless love that you have poured out on us. That um, it, One of the things that we do uh, that we'll be doing forever is discovering how deep and wide um, and high your love is for us, for those who you've set your love on that um, will never reach the end of it, and pray that you would be with us this morning as we look in your word, that we would see Jesus, that Jesus would be uh, magnified, and that the result would be that we would, would praise him, and that we would declare his salvation to, um, to the world, and I just pray that that would be something that happens uh, in this sermon today. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Verse 1 through 3 is kind of a summary of the result of the psalm. No, the rest of the psalm. Um, it's a summary of the rest of the psalm. It hits the same themes. Um, kind of a summary with the themes, and then the themes are fleshed out a little bit more later in the chapter. And the four themes are, they should be up there. Um, they're looking to the Lord for help. The Lord rescuing, delivering and then the declaration of that deliverance, and then the hearers of the declaration responding uh, in trust and praise. So we'll see that as we go forward here. Verse 1 says, I waited patiently. Uh, this is a plea for hasty help. Uh, in verse 13, uh, he says, make haste to deliver me. But here he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And I think um, that ultimately he's yielding to, to God's time. Um, but if you're if you're in a situation like that, a dire situation where, say, you're drowning, you're not going to say, come help me whenever it's convenient. You're going to say, I'm going to die if you don't help me. So this, the, the desperation, all you can do is, is ask for help. Um, and that's described a little bit in verse 2. It says, Here, he heard my cry and deli- delivered me from the, um, the pit of destruction, um, from the miry bog. So he's in, he's in the depths um, and the... Psalms talk a lot about these kinds of states. Uh, Sheol is another term, but uh, the psalmists understood that physical death isn't the only type of death you can experience, that you can also experience a death while your body is still alive. Um, it's that, that sense of drowning that you're just completely helpless, that there's no action you can do. All you can do is, is cry for help. Um, Psalm 6.5 says, For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol who will give you praise. So, so the state of this psalmist is, I, I can't do anything but cry for help. I can't give praise. I can't do any of that. And the Lord delivers him. He 
pulls him up out of the, the mud pit and puts his feet on a cliff, on a solid place. And he doesn't just take him out of it. He, he secures his steps. He uh, delivers him and gives him a direction. And, um, and then the result of that is that there's a new song in the psalmist's mouth. Um, I think this is primarily in contrast to his inability to say or do anything, but cry for help. Now he can, he can declare the work of the Lord and the deliverance of the Lord in the song. I mean, it's new. This deliverance is new. So I have a new thing to, to declare about how great God is. And the result of this song is that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So the deliverance of the one results in many coming to God, which is, you know, that's the work of Jesus. So um, verse 4 is, I think, a little bit of, uh, um, connects a little bit to the nature of those who trust in the Lord. Um, so the, it says, Blesses the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And here I see a snapshot a little bit of Psalm 1, which is a great introduction to the Psalms. Um, as we know, it was written with, uh, uh, the Psalms were written with an arrangement uh, to intend um, a specific, you know, culmination and uh, making a certain point. And I think that it sets up a righteous man at the beginning, um, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, you know, uh, blesses the man who stands not in the, with the wicked and doesn't sit or, or all those things, but he delights in the Lord and he's like a tree planted by the water. Uh, this is, you know, full, fully realized in the life of Jesus who, who never swerved from that, um, that description. And so I think we see Jesus there. And then the psalmist moves to start to recount the, the deeds of the Lord uh, that have been multiplied to his people, and his thoughts toward his, toward his people are so great that he can't recount them all. Um, I think the end of this verse, verse 5, it sets up um, verse 6. Says your deeds and, and your thoughts are so vast that I could never do them justice. So it's almost as, as as if he's searching for a way to express the proper dis, uh, thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. And uh, verse six seems to ask a question. Uh, it says, "In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted." So if he doesn't delight in sacrifice, which is a huge part, you know, of the Old Testament. What does he delight in? So I have the, the question is, what, what does the Lord delight in? And the answer is less direct, but it descri- I think it describes a state of being. And my summary is that the Lord delights in a heart that knows and delights in the law or will of God. And so uh, the following verses here, I think, help give a description a little bit more of that. It says, you don't delight in sacrifice, but you have given me an open ear. So sacrifice is something that we bring to God, right? But the thing that God delights in is something that he has done for us. Um, he's given us an open ear, which I think we all have a, a footnote there that says something about uh, ears you have dug for me. 
which I can understand why they would translate that differently, but um, it helps to understand what, what he's saying here. Uh, basically, if you think about digging, you know, that's garden language, like cultivating and, and creating. And uh, it's basically saying that God has created the holes where the ears go. So given ears that function, right, that, that hear the way they should. And Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, um, directly applies these verses to Jesus, which I, I've been a little bit like, should I push too hard? I'm pushing too hard on this, but Hebrews gives me some, some courage there. Um, but it says, the way that it translates it is that uh, body you have prepared for me. So if we were wondering, is this about like a God doing something to create something that's new and, uh, you know, all that? Hebrews blows the door off that. Like, yes, this is about Jesus. Um, body you prepared for me. And then behold, I've come in the scroll. It is written of me. I delight to do your will and your laws on my heart. So this, um, this is really good. There's a lot that could be unpacked here. This is, you know, prophecy that's fulfilled. Um, it talks about obedience versus sacrifice. Uh, talk, it's new covenant language where we, we are given a new nature, um, kind of a resurrected life. Um, but I'm, I have a time limit here. So there's two things I'm going to, I want to reiterate before we move on. Um, one, like I've said, more than sacrifice and offering is what, what God delights in is a heart that loves him and his direction. And the second thing is that Jesus is the primary fulfillment here, not you and me. So I want to hold on to that as we move on to 9 through 10. Verses 9 through 10 are a declaration. Uh, As we talked about the themes, this is the theme of declaration of the deliverance of the Lord. Uh, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Um, I haven't restrained my lips. And so he's declaring the deliverance, faithfulness, and steadfast love of God to the great congregation. And the great congregation, um, t- talking about restraining, like he's not, he's not only telling a certain subset of people. It's not just whoever shows up to where he's at. It's, it's just completely out in the open. And this is where I want to really push the idea that this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. I think we, we walk in this these kinds of steps, but, but Jesus fulfilled this ultimately. Um, before I started viewing the Psalms as uh, pointing to Jesus as uh, primary uh, prophecy type stuff ultimately fulfilled in him, I think I would have read these two verses as a prescription for evangelism or a command to speak the gospel. You know, on the surface, like, I need to do this, um, which I do believe that the New Testament teaches us and Jesus teaches us to, to go out, to spread the good news, right? To declare the work of the Lord. Um, but, when I, but I think when we read passages like this, we should primarily see that the Messiah will be the one to complete, fulfill, to will take action on these things as they're becoming a reality in his life and his sacrifice. We should, we should proclaim the salvation of the Lord but not because we're instructed to here primarily, but because we have been given the salvation through the one who fulfilled this prophecy, this psalm, and that makes it even more good news, right? 
Hebrews 10 really fleshes this out. Um, it connects Jesus' desire to do the will of the Father, uh, the body that God created for him, connects it to the new covenant where we get that nature as well, and given a heart like his, that, and so we delight to do his will. It talks about doing his will later in, in chapter 10 of Hebrews. So I'd encourage you to read that uh, this week if you get an opportunity and, and reflect on um, how Jesus fulfills it and how we are given a nature like his. So uh, in verse 11, the, uh, so in 910, we get the declaration, and he hasn't restrained. It says, I have not restrained the message of the salvation of the Lord. And here he confidently declares that the Lord won't restrain his mercy to him, his love and his faithfulness. And he's confident about this. Uh, and then he's going to go into, into a description of the, the state that he needs deliverance from. In verse 12, it says, here it says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. So this, this is an obvious issue, right? If I'm talking about Jesus fulfilling this, how can the Messiah, be the, the sinless one, be basically up to his eyeballs in sin? Um, and I, I think there, there's a lot of, of ways we could uh, approach it, but I just want to highlight a few things and give us some things to consider. Um, uh, Psalm 38 is, it, I said that the part about the blessed man not taking counsel of the wicked was a snapshot of Psalm 1. I think that these verses are a snapshot of uh, Psalm 38, which uh, I'm going to read, and I think it, it, it zooms, we zoom in, out, zoom in on it, so I'm going to read it. It says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. That's 39, I'm sorry. 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. And my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are, there are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity, and am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, because uh, accuse me 
because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So there's a lot of uh, similar language here about the sin and iniquity of the psalmist. Um, but I, for me, it, the, the way that this is uh, fulfilled in the life of Jesus, is specifically his, his crucifixion and his trial, just jumps out at me, you know, um, being unjustly accused and all those things. So I think that's, that's helpful to, to have more of a um, zoom in there. And then there's three, three more things I want to consider, and then we'll move on. Um, dealing with the, you know, the, the psalmist talking about his own sin. Uh, the first thing to consider is that the psalms were written for corporate confession and worship. So if there was never any kind of reference to personal sin, we would be pretty be missing a large chunk of, of what we need to do. Um, we wouldn't have an example of confessing sin and um, living and dealing with the consequences of our sin. The second thing is that we know that our iniquity was laid on Jesus, that in, in that sense, he really did fulfill this. He took on our sin. Our sin was laid on him. First um, Peter 2.24 is kind of a paraphrasing of Isaiah 53.4, which says our sin was laid on him, and that, that really happened. You know, it was as if it was his, and he, because he had to take the punishment for it, right? So... Um, this connects to the third point, which is that Jesus is the true Israel. He is the represents the corporate people of God. Um, there's this takes a little bit more to to flesh out and and prove, but um, a couple things. God calls the nation of Israel His son in a few places, and Matthew connects the Exodus of people of Israel to the life of Jesus. And call out of Egypt, I called my son. Um, so that that's a true thing of Jesus. Um, he is the representative head, like I mentioned with David uh, and Goliath. And the sin and rebellion of Israel is such a big thing of the Old Testament. It's the, the loudest, one of the loudest things in the Old Testament. So if God is going to deliver, he has to deal with, with the sin, and, and uh, Jesus does that. Um, Jesus is the king, priest, covenant head of the corporate people of God, he carries the onus for their sin, but they also receive the blessing of the weight of his obedience. Awesome. All right, so verse 13, the psalmist turns to the Lord and him alone for deliverance. It says, be pleased to deliver me. I think there's a, a little bit of the psalmist appealing to the fact that God has said he delights in the righteous the righteous one, the righteous life. And so be pleased to, to deliver me, like truly be pleased in me and deliver me. Um, and he seems, wait, I jumped. Where are we at here? Sorry. Okay. And it says, make haste to deliver me, which we talked about earlier. Um, he, he says, make haste, but he is waiting on the Lord. Um, it's a prayer of desperate trust. And uh, a quick note that I wanted to reiterate uh, on the, the idea that, that these psalms did have a, um, a function and like served the people in their, the time and context that they were written. Um, for the psalmist, like we confessed this morning, Psalm 51, it says, um, have mercy on me, God. You know, God 
did have mercy on David and all of those who cried to him in the Old Testament. But it was because of Jesus, right? Romans 3.25 says he passed over former sins because, because of the work of Jesus. So um, just one quick note there. Uh, and then verse 14 through 15, he's being accused, which we saw uh, fleshed out more in chapter 38. Uh, has similar language, um, but he seems unconcerned about the attitude and the accusation of his accusers. He's not so much concerned about what they're saying that he did. He is crying out to God for deliverance from them. And a, a couple reasons. Uh, one is that he already acknowledged his sin to the Lord, and he knows that he falls or stands at the mercy of God to him, not the accuser's and uh, for, for the second thing, the accusers aren't concerned about seeing the justice of God happen. They're not accused about righteousness being uh, trampled on or anything like that. They don't like him. Um, and we saw in chapter 38 that uh, those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. So they don't like him because he's righteous. And... Um, we, this rings of the trial of Jesus again. And, um, but it says that may, let's see, they will be appalled at their shame. So he's asking that they will be appalled at their shame, uh, which uh, for me makes me think of uh, the reference to like Israel looking on the one who they've pierced, uh, John 19 and Zechariah 12. Um, and I think, I think there's a little bit of a, a hope even for the accusers here that, that the shame that is felt beholding, like, what have I done? Uh, think a little bit of the, the centurion looking at, at Jesus, St. Julius, the son of God. I think, I think there's hope even for the accusers. Um, so that's encouraging too. Uh, verse 16 in contrast to those who look for the downfall of the righteous one, may all who seek the Lord rejoice and be glad in him. And I was really excited to see, uh, this is a, a benediction, I think, over, over the people that, that see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, to see the, the way that they're described, like the, the benediction towards them, like, may this be true of them. Um, it reflects the nature of the psalmist in verse six, six through eight, the, the new heart language, the desire to do the will of the Lord. It says, may they, and I've got a, this up here, may they rejoice and be glad in the Lord, which connects to delighting to do the will of the Lord. May they love your salvation, which, you know, love connects to the heart, the seat of the will and the emotion. May it come from within them. And may they declare the greatness of the Lord. So just like the, the psalmist, the, the one who's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, declaring the deliverance of the Lord. So um, the many end up reflecting the pattern of the life of the one in delight and declaration. So uh, it's really cool. Uh, and then the application, one application here, uh, something to think about is, as we apply this to ourselves, like how, how do I reflect this? What, it, what is this going to look like in my life? What am I going to declare? I think that 
the, it's, it's pretty simple, right? The, there was a state of need that was met by the Lord, and now I'm going to talk about it, right? And the result is not because the psalmist has this eloquent, charismatic speech or, or anything. It's, it's the Lord that delivered, and it's the Lord that will, will make the results of the, the deliverance effective for the many, right? So we just say the Lord, the Lord delivers. He delivered me and uh, trust that the Lord will take that message and make it uh, spread to the world. So um, verse 17 concludes with remembering the psalmist is needy. He may not be able to praise like the congregation at this point. It says, behold, I am poor and needy. And this is so good. As we know, the Psalms are not always cheery. They're actually kind of sad a lot, but it, they reflect our reality. They ref, reflect, reflect the way that our life is um, in this, this uh, state before Jesus comes back and makes everything new. Um, and the experience of suffering is such a big part of the way that Jesus fulfills all of the prophecy, all the Old Testament. Um, he's a suffering servant, right? And we can, in our lives, we can go from these, these mountaintop experiences, these like, look at how great the Lord is, and, and it's just overflowing almost in an instant. It seems we can be just in the depths where we can't do anything but cry to help, cry for help to the Lord. But our representative head, the one Jesus, has already been there. He's done this, and he's present with us in it. And then the final call is for God to be his power of deliverance. Um, it says, you are my help and my deliverer. And then chapter 41 continues this theme of being needy and crying for help. Um, but again, we can, we can gain confidence because we know that the cry was answered. And the deliverance was found once for all. And the one man who fulfills all that the Psalms hope for. So the next time you read a Psalm, uh, I hope that you think about how Jesus has fulfilled it for you so that you can claim the blessings and deliverance of God through his perfect obedience and his sacrifice. And to the end, that the benediction could be true of us. May we rejoice and be glad in the Lord, love his salvation and declare his greatness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you that you, uh, you've done so, so much. You've worked throughout all of history um, from, from the very beginning to bring about um, full restoration and full hope in any circumstance, whether we're feeling great or we're in desperation. Um, it all, it's all contained in, in your plan, and it's all um, shown to us in your word. Thank you for the example that we have in, in the Psalms of, of trust and just um, that, that you're our only hope and that that hope is secure and you will rescue, and the result will be so much greater than we could ever imagine. Give us uh, just delight in Jesus, delight in your word, 
delight in the, the rescue that we have so that we will have your deliverance on our lips. Just give us confidence to, to just say it. Your, um, your time, uh, your result, and that your, your name would be praised among the nations.